0: Life Beats, the home edition with Sally Musa, only on Pulse95. Ramadan is the one month every year when Muslims across the world fast in unison from pre-dawn to sunset every day, usually breaking fast with a nightly iftar feast with family and friends. This year, of course, with the onset of COVID-19, Ramadan is remarkably different with most people across the world experiencing it under lockdown unable to go to the mosque to pray and definitely not gathering for iftar in a sense the new restrictions brought on by the pandemic have brought us back to the true essence of ramadan which is actually to look inward and reflect and to appreciate the magnitude of blessings in every small thing like a sip of water and biting into a date in fact It's in Ramadan that we really begin to realize how underestimated the date fruit really is, with powerful health benefits, including providing an energy boost that just recalibrates the body after fasting, increasing iron in the body and aiding in digestion, as well as being rich in various nutrients, fiber, and antioxidants. Where Ramadan fasting is meant to rebalance the body for optimum health, That should set us straight for the rest of the year. Many of us have gotten used to all-you-can-eat buffet, iftars, and overindulging that is actually contrary to the true spirit of the holy month. I spoke to Sada Adhami, diabetes educator and dietitian at Mediclinic Hospital to find out more about the health benefits of fasting the month of Ramadan, how we can boost our immunity,
1: as well as fasting for diabetics so first of all we've you know been doing fasting in different types of methods for ancient periods of times and so for the months of ramadan that you can almost see it as almost like a intermittent type of fasting which is very trendy these days and there's a lot of research going into intermittent fasting and so when you think of fasting during ramadan especially where we are in this part of the world the number of hours that we are fasting it's almost like the sixteen-eight sort of intermittent type of fasting, which is a common form of time-restricted feeding. For Ramadan, we have the spiritual benefits, but we also have the physical benefits there as well. And so people can take advantage of that period of time by ensuring that they are nourishing themselves with appropriate types of foods. Although that doesn't always happen, that is what should be recommended they need to ensure that they are having adequate hydration and that they are trying not to overeat. So in terms of what they should be doing, nourishing is really important, hydration is important and keeping active. And what they shouldn't be doing, of course, is the the overeating and I guess the the empty calories that can be found during Ramadan.
0: Obviously, you know, people are very hungry by the end of the day. (laughs) You kind of think to yourself, I could eat everything that is on that table. But that is not the best way of approaching it now, is it? You know, this is very important to, like you said, avoid overeating. So kind of take us through what an ideal situation at iftar time looks like and suhoor as well, because we have two meals that are kind of the focus
1: to help us to fast throughout the day. So take us through that. So we have a window of opportunity for nourishing our body over that extended period of time, where we haven't had anything to eat or drink, and so starting with futur, the first thing I would, you know, sort of walk myself through is the importance of hydrations. That glass of water at the beginning with that date and i know it's just one date but gosh it's so full of nutrition and you know it's not very high in calories but it's got so much vitamins and nutrients in it and it has a specific type of carbohydrate called fructose which is great at just giving that surge of energy at the beginning so you know i like to sort of start with that and of course it is part of the sunnah to do that not to go overboard on dates but the one with the glass of water in the start is super important. And then followed by, of course, more hydration. That's why we tend to have soups at the start of the futur, and that's, again, just trying to replenish the amounts of fluids that our body needs to sort of start taking back in again. And soup is great because not only is it hydrating you, but it's also providing the electrolytes that you need as well because of the losses throughout the day. Then you go into the salads, and the salads are super great because you've got the colourful, types of vegetables there from your greens and your reds and oranges, etc. And every vegetable has different nutrients and different benefits in so many ways from vitamin C's, etc. and potassium. So a bowl of salad would also be coming up as part of your entree. And then you may take a break, take that break and maybe go pray and come back. And to be honest, you'd feel quite satisfied with that me being from a lebanese background we love our fatis so we have our chickpeas with our yogurt and the benefits of chickpeas are fantastic there in terms of its b vitamin complex and then you've got the yogurt that goes on top, which is a great probiotic. I think just starting in that sort of sequence is great. And then going into the main meal, which hopefully you only have one main meal and you probably will only eat a small portion of that. It won't be huge, but you need to ensure there is that protein there because of course our body requires protein. We need to make sure we're meeting our protein requirements. So meat, fish, chicken, etc obviously trying to keep it lean. And with that will come the carbohydrates also, so whether you're having some rice or couscous, butter oil, uh, pasta, potatoes, like starchy vegetables, any form of carbohydrate there to also help replenish the calories. So that would sort of end the Futur phase. And then you may go into the night wanting to have extra snacks, especially if you're up a little bit later. And the snacks there, again, you need to be thinking about what kind of foods does my body still need to sort of make up for. And when you think about what you've had already at Futur, what remains is things like fruits, for example. You may have one or two servings of fruits, you may have some nuts, and again, nuts are fantastic because they've got the vitamin E and vitamin Bs, fibres, so a handful of nuts there, and again, some dairy because we need the calcium, again, the probiotic there is found. So Greek yogurt, for example, with some fruit and some nuts, and that makes a nice sort of snack to have before going to bed. Of course, we do sometimes have those sweets and things that we probably shouldn't be having on a daily basis. But when we're talking about how do we get our full nutrition? Well, you know, trying to have the majority of the days focused on really energy rich, but also nutrient rich foods, not just energy rich and nutrient poor foods. And then I still like to stick to a routine. I like to go to bed at a decent hour because I still have to go to work the next day and then get up for suhoor. And with suhoor, it would be kind of the opposite. You don't want that rapid acting uh, carbohydrate that you start iftar with. You want something that's longer lasting. So you'd go for something that's low glycemic index. So you're choosing breads that are whole grain. You're choosing cereals that are high in fiber like oats and unprocessed muesli, maybe some granola that's high in sort of nuts. And then you may have that with some milk or you may have it with some Greek yogurt again, and some fruit. If you're a savory person, you may just have the toast, the whole grain toast with egg, cheese, labneh, some extra vegetables like cucumbers and tomatoes on the side. Foul is a good one. Foul is fantastic as
0: well. For the non-Arabs amongst us, they're your, you know, your fava beans, the brown ones. You just cook them up, really. You know, they come in a can, it just couldn't be easier. You could, you know, soak them and cook them but you don't have to it's one of the no. easiest things to you can add your olive
1: oil on top but yeah. not, not to drench it but just to get that good you know amount of olive oil in and have all the veggies on the side with it so it's you no, know, it's a great option as well and
0: hummus i love hummus as well i feel like it's one of those things again you know coming back to your feta. Even feta is fantastic, you know, for suhoor because it just keeps you full. It literally, things like food, things like hummus, things like feta are just amazing. The beautiful thing about them is that they're multi-layered as well. So you get lots of different yes. nutrients going on. Like you said, Sarah, in there that you get all of that going on and it keeps you full all day long. I know when I eat
1: feta... That's it, like I'm done yeah. for the day. <laughs> exactly. It exactly. is brilliant. I mean, there is different variations of how you make it and you can make it sort of healthier versus, you know, you can make it less caloric, you can make it more caloric. So it just depends on your methods of cooking, but the components of it are fantastic. Coming up next, why are
0: dates the perfect food for fasting? Plus, can you lose weight when fasting in Ramadan? That's next. Pulse ninety-five. Life Beats, the home edition with Sally Moussa, only on Pulse95. Welcome back to Life Beats on Pulse95, and I'm in conversation with dietitian Sarah Adhemi about how to best optimize our Ramadan fasting, and should there be a list of off-limits foods? Her answer might surprise you. I want to come back to what we start our iftar with, and that is the date, and I think... It's, this is maybe the most underestimated fruit mm. in yeah. the Yeah, uh, there's studies
1: that keep going on and on about dates.
0: You know, this is the thing. You know, we say a du'a when we break our fast, which is a prayer <laughs> where, that we say when we break our fast, which actually includes ذهب وابتلت العروق. So like this is actually referring to what's going on in your body. Yeah, that's right. It's unbelievable. Can you kind of like take us through like why dates? Because the whole idea of what it's saying there is that, you know, suddenly you've got this beautiful exactly what your body needs, but this rush of nutrients that instantly lifts you up. And you know, even
1: for people with diabetes, it just calibrates everything in your body. Yeah. To start with, by the time we get to Iftar, I mean, most of us, I mean, people who don't have diabetes, our glucose levels are not too low, but they're at the lower point. Our body, for those that don't have diabetes, has a way of regulating its glucose levels so that it never gets too low and never gets too high. But we definitely do feel that it's at the lower end by that point your body has gone through processes of you know as the glucose levels go down your insulin levels go down your your liver is then compensating by releasing glucose in that way to sort of sustain energy we don't quite get to the point where our body will get through breaking down fats and muscle to provide energy that would be into more starvation Ramadan fasting doesn't really get you to that point but it certainly gets you to a point where you're feeling the glucose levels on the lower end and the date specifically, as I mentioned previously, it contains a type of carbohydrate called fructose. And fructose, it's just one of types of carbohydrates. So we have starch, we have lactose, we have fructose, we have sucrose. But fructose specifically is just the way it breaks down and converts into glucose in the bloodstream is quite fast. And so it just gives you that nice lift pretty quickly and then of course in combination with not just the the carbohydrate and the fructose that it contains but it also contains fiber and it contains all your other magnesiums and vitamins and minerals that you require and so it is a pack full almost like a mini pill of vitamins that you're taking in one go
0: it's so interesting you know and i love that i can feel it immediately it's just one date that's all you need in the glass of water I would just love for people to kind of, like you said, Sarah, to listen to their bodies and just kind of really take it slow at iftar time. Because once you've had the date, the water, your soup, your salad, that is like the time to get up and go and pray. And you feel like, actually, I'm halfway there. Like, I don't really need that much when
1: it comes to, you know, a main meal after that. Right. Yeah. I think being in isolation this Ramadan has just helped be more mindful of that process as you start. And so I just feel like everything slows down. there's no, there isn't this rush, you're not out. There isn't lots of people around and you're hosting or you're being posted, it's different. And so I feel like you can be more mindful. You can be more thoughtful of what you're actually feeding yourself and pacing yourself in a
0: certain way. Such a great point, absolutely. Now it's interesting because some people think oh Ramadan fasting must be you know a great way to lose weight should that be some way of us you know to think of it or you know is there a difference between dieting and Ramadan fasting can you lose
1: weight when you fast in Ramadan? Well, certainly people shouldn't be fasting Ramadan for the purpose of losing weight. That's a secondary outcome. It probably will be a positive secondary outcome for many, but the truth of the matter is, it's a bit like intermittent fasting. And the research when it comes to intermittent fasting in terms of weight loss is mixed. Some people lose weight on intermittent fasting, some people don't lose weight on intermittent fasting. And the reason, is because most of the time, if the calories... Like if I was only going to eat within an eight-hour period of time, like let's talk about the 16-8 diet where you start eating most of the time around midday, you're having your lunch, and then you would have like an earlier dinner by about 7 o'clock and then stop eating by 8 p.m. Now, if I'm watching my calories with both my lunch and my dinner, which are the two main meals of the day, and I'm not really snacking in between, and I haven't made up for the fact that I didn't have breakfast in the morning... So you haven't just made up for those calories then you're going to be in a calorie deficit and by being in a calorie deficit then you'll lose weight and it's a bit the same with ramadan so if you're having a fairly small suhoor and then your dinner is not so rich in calories and you're being quite good with your snack afterwards and not necessarily going for that kanafir or you know highly processed high energy high sugar content foods and sticking to fruits and you're getting up during the day, you're going to work, that incidental activity is still there, then it's likely that you probably will lose weight. But then it just depends. Everyone's diet is different and the foods they eat are different and the frequency of how they're eating throughout the night, whether they're having a aftar and then a main, and then they're constantly grazing all the way through till 4am in the morning. Then, no, the calories are going to build up and you're not going to necessarily lose weight. In fact, maybe the opposite, you might put on weight.
0: I think you're being maybe a little bit over optimistic, expecting people to stay away. <laughs> <That cannot. laughs> I think it's being in isolation. I'm not tempted. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yes, you're kind of less tempted. Because when you're out and about, if you're going to the buffet iftar,s or you know whether you're going to the family iftar,s then it's mandatory. It's like if I was back home for Ramadan, yeah. it'd be different. It's true. It's true. And this is interesting because it's kind of like part of Ramadan. Like you said, we're stepping back this year. It's isolation, but part of Ramadan is, of course, eating iftar together. And so when someone yeah, has made special. the knafeh or the sweets and they <laughs> offer you some. You can't say no, no right? No, can't say
1: no, of so, not. From your perspective, how do you manage the peer pressure? <laughs> uh, portions, portion control. And yeah. you know, hopefully I'm not invited out every day. I know it's only once or twice a week maybe, and, and that's okay, I use those days as knowing that I'm gonna have those treats on those days. And the days that I'm having a flat at home, I try and avoid having those kinds of foods.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea, definitely, to kind of keep it reasonable. Enjoy it, have your cake,
1: eat it too, but be reasonable about it as well, for sure. Oh yeah, look, I am not one of those dietitians that has a list of bad foods and good foods. I do not give people those lists. When people say to me, can you just tell us what we can and can't eat? I'm like, there is no can and cannot eat. You can eat everything, but it's about the frequency of how often you're eating those foods, which foods are sort of your everyday, basic, fundamental foods that you need to be including, which foods are the ones that we enjoy on those occasions, and the portions of Coming up next, Sarah discusses the immune
0: system and whether you actually need to boost it. That's next on Life Beats on Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Life Beats, the home edition with Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. Welcome back to Life Beats. I'm speaking to dietitian and diabetes educator Sara Adhami about Ramadan fasting. Now, can those who have COVID 19 fast? And how can you boost
1: your immune system? Do you even need to? My first question to a lot of people when they come to see me is do you eat five serves of fruit and veg per day? and they'll be like, oh, I eat fruit, but I don't always eat enough vegetables. And people don't even know what a serving of fruit and veg is. You know, when I explain like, you know, that half a cup of cooked vegetables or one cup of salad is a serving of vegetables, you know, so I prefer that somebody eats at least three serves of vegetables and two serves of fruit, or if they want to eat most of it as vegetables, that's fine as well. But most people don't eat that much. And, you know, just by, I guess, Knowing today we're talking about the topic of immunity and Ramadan and fasting, people are so concerned about getting their nutrients in now during this period of time. And I think, well, if you just went back to the guidelines, if you ate your five serves of fruit and veg, you are Almost 100% guaranteed that you are getting all those vitamins and nutrients that you're meant to be getting. And there's a reason why we have these guidelines because guidelines aren't that eating fruit and veg isn't just for when you're worried about getting unwell or you're worried about catching a, a cold or a virus. It should be constant all the time. Like it's not just when we're worried. If we constantly got into this good way of eating and this healthy way of eating, then even if this pandemic occurred, we wouldn't be so worried because it's like, well, I'm already eating lots of fruit and veg. I'm already having, you know, my dairy, my proteins, my carbohydrates, as I should be. And so that basis is covered. I just feel like people start to get really hyped up and worried, you know, and then you start getting all that fear-mongering happening, all the gimmicks coming out and all the supplements. And I, for one, don't like that. (laughs) We
0: start to get sucked into it all because we have that fear of, you know, what is going on out there? And it's like, okay, well, what can I control? We'd hear a lot about superfoods and foods that boost our immunity can you take us through some of those that would be great to have
1: first of all the immune system itself is really quite good at doing its thing without even needing boosting. So when we talk about the healthy average population, younger population, okay, as you get older, the immune system does start to get affected and that's why older people are more susceptible to illness. But the younger population has a well-functioning immune system that just knows how to do its thing on a day-to-day basis. So boosting it isn't necessarily the word. What you want to do is just to maintain it and keep it healthy and nurture it. Even the term, when you think of boosting, I mean, I work with people who have autoimmune illnesses. So type one diabetes is different to type two diabetes in a a way that it's caused by an autoimmune attack. And so you can say that this child, or most of my children, this child um, had an overactive immune system And that caused the immune system to identify the pancreas as a foreign organ and that's why it attacked it and basically shut it down so that it's not producing any more insulin, which is very, very sad and it's really hard for families and parents to really come to terms with why this happened to their child. And the truth is we don't know and there's a lot of unknowns about the immune system. And so boosting it, is not really what you want to be doing because you don't know what it's going to do if it becomes hyperactive and it does things out of its own accord. It might just identify things as foreign when they're not really foreign. And it might do things that are out of whack. The idea of boosting, it just doesn't sit right with me in a scientific sort of way like i said you can maintain it and so maintaining it does come from eating a healthy diet and that's why you know having the variety and as we spoke about the meeting those nutritional guidelines of eating lots of different fruits and vegetables is important the next step is sort of minimizing stress because not only does a diet affect the immune system but also high levels of stress can affect the immune system trying to control stress is super important trying to get adequate sleep. So we mentioned sleep previously, but sleep is a vital factor of um, maintaining a healthy immune system as well. There is also evidence that vitamin D is important to sort of maintain and ward off any infections and viruses as well. So maintaining good levels of vitamin D is important too. The known vitamins that help with immune regulation is vitamin C. And vitamin C is so easy to get. I mean, we don't even need to be taking supplementation for it. I mean, some people have been taking it obviously during this period of time, but you know, it's very easy when you've had your five servings of fruit and veg that you've gotten, even once you've had You know two servings of fruit you've got in your vitamin c and then add on the extra vegetables then you're starting to get into other vitamins as well and so your vitamin b6s are also important and they're found in your green leafy vegetables they're found in your nuts and your eggs and your chicken and your fish and your meat your zinc is also found in those foods as well and that's also super important for immune system probiotics which you can get from your dairy so all fruit and veg to me is superfoods and to pinpoint one in particular i wouldn't really focus on that i think a lot of it is just not too scientifically based okay
0: so what about sleep the importance of sleep because in ramadan a lot of us are getting less sleep than normal (laughs) yeah so what about the importance of sleep to make
1: sure that your body's basically in check what kind of an influence can that have If somebody has chronic sleep deprivation or deficiency, then that can have effects on the immune system overall, but it would have to be a long-term sort of sleep deprivation for that to occur. The minimum average hours that is recommended is between seven and eight hours of sleep a day. And it is a bit difficult because you're breaking your sleep a lot during Ramadan. And so I think just trying to get back to sleep when you can is important. And I think just trying to minimize any distractions. So once you've had your suhoor and you've prayed and you've got a couple of hours that you can try and go back to sleep, try and avoid using your phone. You know, caffeine might affect you so that you can't get back to sleep as well. Those things should Try to be avoided if you could so that you can try and get those seven or eight hours. Some people are lucky enough that they make up for it during the day. But I think it's just that routine that's been shifted that's really hard to then get back into after Ramadan. For me, I would find that difficult. I would rather try and break up my sleep, try and get about four or five hours and then get another three hours to try and at least make up for the seven hours or eight hours that I need during the day.
0: Because sleep is kind of really important, isn't it, in terms of how our appetite works as well and yes, how we feel absolutely. during the day, yeah, right?
1: Yes. So, yeah, I mean, when people don't have enough sleep, it's likely to have affect their mood, cause more irritability, and, you know, that's been shown to probably increase cravings and you're likely to want to go and grab those empty calories um, when you're in those kinds of states. So yeah, definitely feeling more refreshed and getting a good night's sleep will help you stay focused on getting the right nutrition in.
0: During the pandemic right now, there are those who have contracted COVID-19 and there are kind of talks about, you know, is it okay for them to fast? Is it not
1: okay? So in your opinion, what do you think it should be? In my opinion, and what I've actually been seeing around me is that COVID-19 can be positive and can present positive in different forms. You know, you've got people who are positive and they have absolutely, they wouldn't even know they were positive. That's how asymptomatic they are. They don't feel anything at all. No fever, no body aches, no cough, no chest infection, none of that. And so the logic there is if you feel fine, you're likely to be able to fast you know and then the way I see it is if those symptoms or if those positive cases are more mild or moderate then there might be feverish they might be coughing they might have those body aches the sore throats and then just ask yourself when I have a flu when I have a cold if I'm feeling that unwell during Ramadan would I fast and I think the answer is right there like you know if you're not feeling well enough to fast you don't fast If you're feeling like you have minimal to no symptoms, then you fast. And of course, you don't take my word for it. You take your doctor's word for it and get that checked out and seek their advice. But I don't see how it can affect you if there are no symptoms and you're feeling completely fine.
0: It's the same like with
1: any illness, really. Yeah, this is a virus that we just don't have a vaccine for, but it's in so many ways it has similarities to other pneumonias or influenzas, etc. Coming up next, can those with diabetes Fast And
0: how do you keep active in Ramadan? We discuss that next on Life Beats on Pulse95.
1: You're listening to Pulse95.
0: Life Beats, the home edition with Sally Moussa, only on Pulse95. Welcome back to Life Beats, the home edition, and we're talking Ramadan fasting and whether in fact, diabetics should be fasting.
1: Can people with diabetes fast? Yes, they can. But can all people with diabetes fast? The answer is no. So some people can and some people can't. And I think uh, it needs to be assessed depending on the type of diabetes. So. I think people with type one diabetes, not because they're more unwell, but the therapy they're on involves insulin. And usually not just one injection of insulin a day, but it can involve four five or six injections of insulin a day. And so, and there could be a lot more variability with their glucose levels that would send them into sort of uncontrolled diabetes. And for them, fasting would be very, very much uh, a challenge. It's not like it can't be done. It needs a lot of attention and it needs a lot of planning and it needs to have fairly good control before Ramadan starts. So you can't just have sugars all over the place and then Ramadan starts and you think I'll just continue fasting. No, not really. You kind of have to prepare yourself for Ramadan beforehand to try and get as stable glucose control as possible for then for you to ease into Ramadan in a safe manner. It can be done, but it needs to be assessed by your doctor for them to give you the clearance. And of course, it gets more complicated when somebody has other conditions as well. If they've got heart disease or they've got kidney issues, then the complications and the risks of fasting become even more intense. So what are the things that diabetics need to look out for when they are fasting? Provided that they've spoken to their doctor and their doctor has sort of made the necessary adjustments to maybe their medications or the doses, the timing, etc., and they're happy to sort of let them trial it, trialing it means assessing how you're going throughout the day. And assessing for someone with diabetes, the only way they'll know how they're going is by knowing their numbers. So they need to be monitoring. And how do we monitor glucose levels? We monitor it through a finger prick. So they have a glucometer and they need to be checking it depending on the types of therapy they're on so if they're on medications that might cause their sugar levels to drop throughout the day then it's advised that they check their sugar levels at certain points throughout the day so they might need to check their sugar level at midday then check it again mid-afternoon and of course before iftar so that just gives them a guidance whether yep it's a green light for you to keep going and keep fasting you're safe depending on the numbers and if that number starts to get too low because they're not like us like i said our bodies self-regulate so that we never drop too low even when we're fasting people with diabetes that are on medications or on insulin they might keep dropping throughout the day and so that then gets to a dangerous level so they need to know when to stop the fasting if it starts to get too low and then of course reassess whether they need to stop fasting for the rest of ramadan or go back to their doctors and get doses adjusted again etc The challenge then is after they start eating because again, the food choices change in Ramadan, the drinks, the juices, the lemonades, the sweets, that could really throw them off and that can cause major fluctuations. Now you're suffering or you're facing the challenges of high glucose levels. So during the day they might be worried about low glucose levels while they're fasting and then during the night they're worried about all these elevations. I'm a big advocate of using diabetes technologies where you can wear a patch on your arm and you can scan with your phone to know what your glucose level is. And I can remotely check their glucose levels throughout the day and see what's happening. And it's just sometimes it can be a real roller coaster. Where you've got lows and you've got major highs and they'll say, Oh yeah, they overestimated the food I was eating and it just didn't match right with my therapy. And so that calls the highs. And so they start to learn from it, but they need to either really try and get on top of it or not fast.
0: So it's vital really, this is the the ultimate thing for diabetics, to make sure that they're monitoring their numbers throughout the day and to notice
1: the patterns, you know, of how they're fasting, what they're eating, when and... And when to say, no, I can't continue, when to sort of draw the line and say, I can't continue fasting. And of course, one other thing that's really important for them is the hydration, as it's important for everybody, but they need to especially be sure of that because the last thing you want is to have high glucose levels and then also be dehydrated. Because that can just keep, you know, excreting glucose out into the urine. Electrolytes keep coming out. It's a spiral that's not going in the right direction. Hydration is such an important one pretty much for everybody, right? Because
0: we love to have our juices. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they're like 100% juice, if they're no added sugar, you still, that's a massive amount of sugar that is actually going into the body. If you're having all of those juices at a start time and, Is having juice out of cloud time a good idea? Should you be sticking to water?
1: Your thoughts on that? We need to get about two to three liters of fluids per day. Depending on our body size, I mean, it does vary. And the majority of your fluids should be coming from water three quarters of it think of it should be coming from water and you don't need to necessarily be drinking the full three liters i mean you could be drinking two liters of fluids per day which is about eight cups of water and then the rest of it is coming from food so when you have salads and soups and milk and yogurt and custards and and things like that there's a lot of water content in those foods as well so that's why you don't necessarily have to be drinking all your hydration requirements through just liquids it could be through foods as well that's why generally people will say eight glasses of water a day is enough and yes some of it might be maybe two or three glasses of that might be other forms of hydration and so if you start talking about things like milk tea and coffee i mean not everybody gets dehydrated from having tea and coffee especially if they're regular drinkers so if you've been drinking tea and coffee on a regular basis then it doesn't necessarily have that diuretic effect like many fear it would Can you have juice occasionally? I would say yes. I mean, if I was gonna have my iftar and I know that this is a concentrated form of carbohydrate, but then again, I'm not eating a huge amount of carbohydrate coming in the form of pasta and rice and potato and generally having you know just some lean protein a very small amount of maybe potato or sweet potato and, and lots of vegetables then a glass of juice is not going to necessarily throw your whole carbohydrate load off whack but if you're eating you know a big plate of rice and bread and you know there's that knef sitting on the side and you've also got the juice then that load there is just probably a bit more than you need Yeah, so it's all about
0: balance and just making sure that you're thinking about the balance at the end of the day.
1: Obviously, you know, you want to encourage eating whole fruits, not the juicing. And I always use this as an example when I'm having my patients here in my office, I've got food bottles in my drawer behind me and I've got oranges and apples and pears and I have a glass there. And I say, well, how many of those do you think you need to juice to get a glass of juice? And they might say, oh, three or four to try and get, you know, my glass. And I'm like, well, if I gave you three or four fruits right now and said do you, eat them all, you'd say, oh, it's too much but you could easily drink the juice. And so that's how calories start coming in really easily because it's just an easy form of concentrated energy. Lastly, let's talk about, you know, keeping active. That's a really
0: important thing. So helping people to stay active even in Ramadan. Being
1: active helps everybody. So whether you have diabetes or you don't, I mean, it's especially great for people with diabetes, but there are so many benefits to exercise, whether it's circulation, whether it's muscle toning, whether it's energy expenditure, whether it's mental health, blood glucose control. I mean, the benefits are endless. In this period of time, I know for me, I've struggled with it. I've still tried to find ways to do it. So as the lockdown started in March and the gyms closed, you know, I said to my husband, right, we're going to start walking outside again. And then luckily we have a nice sort of gated community outside of our, just near where we live. And so I was able to go in and uh, we were doing our 5K walks, which then became 5K runs. And then the complete lockdown came on board and it was no more going out. And I really, really, really struggled with that. You know, I'd see how, you know, in Australia, they were allowed to go out for one hour of exercise a day. And you know, for your mental health, it's so important i was still able to go out come to work every day so i was still trying to keep up some sort of form of daily activity for those that were working from home for my kids from home that was really tough that's when the phone apps started to come in and i was really starting to like get on board with finding the right youtube videos and whether it would be pilates and stretching and yoga for something just low impact or whether i wanted to just do something a bit more high impact like the HIIT classes. I just had them all saved and ready and I was aiming for something realistic of about three sessions a week. You know, I wasn't gonna go full and do, you know, more than that. I even started using the stairs in my apartment block. So I live on the seventh floor and we have 19 floors and I just started doing that. It got a bit boring and it got a little bit tedious and I I can't say I loved it that much, but you gotta constantly think about what you can be doing. You know, we can't just say, oh, gyms are closed, oh, it's too hot. We have to keep finding ways and in Ramadan, we can't even walk to the mosque. So that's even a struggle in itself. But then doing the prayers at home, I was reading that one cycle of prayer burns about 10 calories. And I was like, oh, that's not bad. You know, someone's doing Tarawih prayers and that that can build up to a, a 30 minute walk equivalent for some people, so it's not so bad. I guess that's one way to keep active Housework is another way to keep active. Using the stairs in your villa or in your apartment block is another way. And as I mentioned, the apps that are now, you know, everyone's just wanting you to get onto their live or utilize their apps. So there's an endless amount of uh, different types of activities people can be doing in that regard. You
0: know, exercising just before iftar time as well. You know, if you're going to do a hit, do it just before iftar so that yeah. you can keep the water immediately after.
1: Yeah, so again, you know how I was talking to you about how our blood glucose levels start to decrease, and then we start using our glycogen stores in our liver. So I think, you know, by really pushing it right through, you're squeezing every bit out by the end, and you're really sort of on empty, and then you can just replenish and. So there's a lot of, I guess, advantages to doing exercises before iftar, but then it's not safe for everybody to do that. So, you know, for someone with diabetes, I definitely would not be recommending them to do exercise before iftar, but definitely after iftar. But for young, healthy people who have well-functioning pancreas and blood glucose control, then, yeah, if you want to really get into those stores and uh, give yourself a good workout beforehand, then go for it. Just even if you can just go for like a, a leisurely stroll, yeah, we still probably have a maybe a couple more weeks. You might be able to get through Ramadan with those walks the late evenings.
0: Yeah, exactly. Late evening, just before the the ifsad time or just or after even. And that's
1: right. That's why eating in moderation is so important. Like the Hadith, the Prophet, peace Peace be upon him, has told us about, you know, keeping our stomach one third of food, one third of fluid and the other third empty. Well, that's just going to help you to be able to really get off that table and not feel uncomfortable and feel more motivated and capable of going for that walk later in the evening. Like you
0: said, one third for water, one third for food, one third for breath. The whole idea is for us to reach optimum health yes. through Ramadan and through fasting. So I hope that we can all do that. And Sarah, I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invite. Thank you. And Ramadan Kareem. Ramadan Kareem to you too. Some great advice on keeping well and keeping active this Ramadan from Sada Adhami. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10am.